Welcome to Wyoming Valley Church's podcast with Pastor Todd Walker. Last week, we started a new series of podcasts called Shields Up, where we talk about the devil and his schemes and the way that he lies to Christians to try to get them off their course. And we're basing this again on our past Sunday sermons to see how the devil might throw us off from what we just learned. Unfortunately, this past Sunday, we didn't meet. The weather got in the way and we had to cancel our service, so we don't have a sermon that we're coming from this week. But that kind of allows me to go at a more general approach to this instead of just dealing with one specific passage. But I am going to talk about one specific passage, not one we've looked at recently, but one that I think is really prevalent with how the devil might lie to Christians. And we're going to get to Matthew chapter 8 here in a little bit. But when I was probably 10 or 12 years ago, a little younger than this, I started reading a book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And many of you have probably at least heard of that book, if not read that book. But I'm just going to read a synopsis here of what uh, the Wikipedia says about the Screwtape Letters, just so we can understand what this book is about. The Screwtape Letters compromises 31 letters written by a senior demon named Screwtape to his nephew, Wormwood, named after a star in Revelation, a younger and less experienced demon, charged with guiding a man called the patient toward our father below, the devil, Satan, and from the enemy, Jesus. After the second letter, the patient converts to Christianity and Wormwood is chastised for allowing this. A striking contrast is formed between Wormwood and Screwtape during the rest of the book, wherein Wormwood is depicted through Screwtape's letters as anxious to tempt his patient into extravagantly wicked and deplorable sins, often recklessly, while Screwtape takes a more subtle stance, as in his letter number 12, wherein he remarks, The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. I want to talk about the subtle nature of the devil. Yes, the Screwtape Letters is fictional. It's not an actual conversation between two demons, but it does depict what may happen, where the devil and his minions are having conversations, having strategies about how to get the Christians off their game. And I do think the devil is subtle in his attacks, and maybe he's even learned that art over the course of many generations, because the blunt, obvious approach is not going to get many people to fall off the path because they're looking for big red flags. But when the devil uses a subtle approach, a gradual deception, that's one that we're often not ready for. And I want to look at a passage of scripture where maybe this was happening and sort of talk about the devil's subtle nature here in detail a little bit. But again, I've been inspired by the uh, the Ephesians 6 study that our women are going through on the armor of God. And in Ephesians 6, it says in verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And that's why we're calling this podcast Shields Up, because we need the faith to combat and ward off the devil's attacks. And so I want to look at a passage here from Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27, where you don't see anything really devilish when you first read this. It doesn't say the devil's name. It doesn't say that he's present. But as you read this, you can tell that the disciples are having a sort of dilemma. And I just want to read these few verses from Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. It says, And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? 
Again, to set the stage, Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples, and they get into the, the water, the sea there, and there's a really big storm that comes upon them. You have to imagine, like, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Perfect Storm, or some really huge hurricane-like storm comes upon these people, because it says it's so big that the waves were swamping the boat. So you have to picture all of this water coming into the boat, and what's astonishing about this tale is that Jesus is asleep. And I think there's a couple reasons for why that is. Number one, he's probably just exhausted from ministry. It was probably very easy for Jesus to fall asleep in those days because he was doing so much. He was probably always tired. Number two, as we're going to learn, I think Jesus knew who was in control of this storm. He had no reason to fear, no reason to be anxious. He was perfectly content and at peace about the storm. But we have his disciples here who were in a very different situation. The disciples are seeing this storm because they're awake. They're not asleep. And the storm, I'm sure, starts off a little bit gradually, but then it really intensifies. And the disciples find themselves in a very hairy situation here with the waves coming into the boat, swamping the boat, it says. And this had to be a very terrifying scene for the disciples. And they look over at Jesus and he's asleep. And that's probably very confusing to them. A, how can he sleep? And B, why would he sleep? And so they go over to Jesus and they, they wake him up saying, save us, Lord, we're dying, we're perishing. And Jesus awakes, he rebukes them, and then he rebukes the wind and the sea. And there's this eerie calm from like this hurricane atmosphere to nothing, just stillness and calmness. And the men marvel after this happens, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? But as I told you before, I want to talk about the devil and his schemes here. And it doesn't look from this passage like he's there, like he's doing anything. But I've learned enough from scripture and learned enough from my own experiences that the devil is basically everywhere he can be. Now, he can't be everywhere. I don't believe the devil is everywhere at every single moment. But I believe he does have a lot of workers or his minions. They are spirit in nature. They, don't, they aren't people we can see. But there are people that are doing his work. And so I'm going to take a chance saying that the devil was present or one of his minions was present here because I do think that the devil is subtle in nature and I do think he was trying to get the disciples to doubt and to question and to complain and to lose faith. And we'll see this here as we go along. But I think there's five instances that the devil may have been attacking the disciples during this period. And the first one is by simply highlighting the intensity of the storm because this storm is intense. It's not to say the storm was no big deal and they were just making it bigger in their minds. This storm was very intense. It was swamping the boat. It was so big. But as we've seen from Peter when he walked on the water and then he got distracted by the storm, I think that's happening here too. I think they're looking at the storm, looking at the intensity of the storm instead of looking at Jesus. If they would have set their eyes upon Jesus Christ and saw that he was asleep and at peace, maybe they would have had faith. But I think one of the subtle natures of the devil is to highlight the storm that we're in. And it doesn't just have to be a physical storm. It could be any storm of life. It could be financial storm. It could be lose a loved one storm. It could be our own health storm. It could just be a very sticky situation at work or in the family kind of storm. It could be anything, really. Anything that is intense in nature and throws us off our game can be a storm. Well, what the devil wants to do is, again, he wants to be subtle in nature. He doesn't just want you to see blatant sin, know that it's sin, and turn from your path of Christ into blatant sin, because oftentimes that's not really going to work. So what he needs to do is he needs to gradually move you away from Christ. And one of the ways he can gradually move you away from Christ is by simply seeing the storm versus seeing Jesus. And I think probably the disciples were falling into that trap going, look at this storm. Look how big this is. This is scary, and I think that's number two, is they were distracted by the storm. Or you could even say this, they were scared by the storm. 
They were looking at the storm, looking at the intensity of the storm, looking at the fragility of their own lives, thinking this is not a good situation. We're doomed. And so all the devil had to do was direct their vision. He didn't have to do anything really bold and blunt. He just simply had to direct their vision from Christ to the storm. And as soon as they did that, these disciples started to lose faith because they saw the bigness of the storm. They lost sight of the bigness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And suddenly this situation looks like it's a really big, scary, dooming situation. And I think the devil had a play in that. Look how big this is. Look how scary this is. This is going to overtake you. This is too big for you. It's going to kill you. I don't think that's conjecture because later on we find the disciples waking up Jesus saying we're perishing. Well, they weren't actually perishing. Nobody has actually been close to death here. They're simply looking at the storm and the details of the storm and making a conclusion. We're goners. This storm is going to kill us. And I've done that countless times in my life that I've looked at the intensity of the storm and actually came to the conclusion, I'm not going to make this. I'm not going to come out of this. And it's not because I actually got near death. It's simply because my imagination ran wild because I looked at how big the storm was. And I think that's exactly how the devil would love to work, is show us the intensity, the bigness of the storm so that we lose sight of the really true bigness of our Lord. And so that's the first two, is he shows us the intensity of the storm. And then number two, we actually get distracted or scared by that storm. And as soon as we do that, it's very easy to lose sight of Jesus. Number three, that I think the devil was probably using is to say something to the disciples like this. Jesus doesn't care about you. Jesus doesn't care about you. You guys don't matter to him. Why do I say that? Because Jesus was asleep. And I can imagine myself as one of the disciples looking at the storm and then looking at Jesus going, really? We got this huge storm. We're his people. We're his loved ones. We're his disciples. And the guy's asleep. The disciples may have come to the conclusion, Jesus doesn't care about us. Or we're not significant in Jesus' mind. He doesn't care if we die here. So that's kind of when the disciples, and I don't know exactly which one wakes up Jesus, but I'm guessing it's Peter. He was kind of always the guy doing stuff like that, but I don't know. But someone thought it was necessary to go wake Jesus up because Jesus at the current moment doesn't seem to be caring because he's asleep. Let's at least give him the option to wake up from his sleep, to look at the situation, and then hopefully care about us and care about the situation. But I think that's probably a conclusion they were coming to in their own minds going, this doesn't matter to Jesus. And isn't that common in storms of life? That we honestly start to question the love of our Lord. And that's a really, really bad sin. It really is. That's, that's nothing you can just go shrug off and go, oh, no big deal. Whoops. That's a really bad thing. When you and I can start to question the love of our Lord, the fact that he cares about us, simply because we're going through something intense, that's a really bad sin. And I'm talking to myself because I've done that again on countless situations. I've questioned the love of my Lord Jesus. And think about all the Lord has done for us. Think about what he was actually planning to do in Matthew chapter 8, only a few months later. Die on the cross for his people's sins so that they would have eternal life with God. Yes, the disciples don't have that hindsight like you and I do. We know what Jesus did. We know that he rose from the grave. But maybe that's even worse for you and I, that when we enter storms of life and we start to question whether God actually cares about us or not. Whether he brought us up to this point to simply abandon us now. Yes, he brought us through a lot of things, but now we're here, this storm is too intense, and now I'm a goner. That's when we begin to question the love and the great care of our Lord, and that should never enter into our minds. But you can tell how the devil works. He wants to plant that seed of doubt in our mind when we're facing a storm to go, Look, see, if the Lord cared about you, he wouldn't let you go through such a storm. He obviously doesn't care. He obviously has forgotten about you. He obviously never cared about you. 
because otherwise you wouldn't be facing such intense storms. And that's a lie. Because it says in scripture that we're going to go through trials. It says even trials of various kinds that are really intense trials. It even calls them fire. It's going to feel sometimes like really painful fire. Not physically always, but it's going to feel painful. So we need to be ready for temptations and trials and things like that. But when we are, we have to remember the Lord has brought us through this many times before. He's going to bring us through this again. But that's the third thing that I think the devil was highlighting is that the Lord doesn't care about them. The Lord doesn't care about you. He's simply going to let you die. The fourth thing that maybe entered the disciples' minds is it's too late. There's nothing the Lord can do at this point. The waves are already coming into the ship. The ship is taking on a lot of water. This storm is already really intense. What can he do at this moment? Now, we know not every single disciple believed that, at least, because there was at least one disciple that woke up Jesus and said, Jesus, save us. Save us from this storm. We are perishing. So that one was at least not in all the minds of the disciples, but I'm guessing it was at least in the mind of a couple of them because it's been in my mind before. Again, that I've looked at the storm of life that I was facing and I've looked at the mountain I was about to climb and then I look at Lord going, ugh, it's too late. We see this in a passage later on where one of Jesus' friends, Lazarus, actually dies. And he comes to the scene where Lazarus is and Mary and Martha meet him on the road and they basically say to the Lord Jesus, Lord, it's too late. It's too late, Lord. Lazarus already died. If you would have come four days ago, you could have saved Lazarus from dying, but now it's too late. The ship has sailed. Lazarus is dead. Well, we know the rest of the story. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and proves to everyone there it is never too late. Never too late. And so maybe the disciples were facing that going, it's too late. Look, look at the storm. Look at the water in our boat. We're goners. Because the person that actually wakes up the Lord Jesus says, we are perishing. As if to say, death is only moments away. What can be done? And that's how the devil loves to work. He loves to intensify the situation and make it seem bigger and embellish it and make it seem like we're never going to come out of this. And I know that's how trials are sometimes in life. My own imagination, or it seems like my own imagination, maybe it's the devil himself, but my own imagination makes the storm seem so much worse than it actually is when I have hindsight. When I can look back on the storms I've gone through in life going, why did I doubt so much? That wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. But that's the number four way that the devil was probably getting these disciples to lose faith. Number five, is maybe questioning the authority of the Lord Jesus. Okay, maybe he does care about you, but what can be done? What can be done? This storm is so big. This situation is so scary. Your boat is so small. You guys are so inexperienced to handle something like this. What is Jesus going to do? What's he actually going to do? You expect him to wake up and start rowing or chucking water off the boat? I mean, what exactly do you actually expect the Lord Jesus to do at this moment? He's not an authority. There's nothing he can do. I imagine that's how the devil loves to work in our minds. He's not big enough. He's not powerful enough. Or like we've said before, he, he doesn't love you enough. And therefore, there's nothing to be done. Well, as we're going to see, Jesus has all authority. And this is where the disciples marvel because... Once they do wake up Jesus, you can tell Jesus is a little perturbed. Maybe he's perturbed because he lost sleep, but I think more so it's because his disciples didn't have the faith they should have had because he says in verse 26 to his disciples, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then Jesus rose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And Jesus was putting everything back into perspective. I do have all authority. 
I can do anything. The wind and the sea obey me. In fact, if you use that doctrine, you have to basically come to the conclusion, the reason the storm was there is because Jesus said so. The wind and the sea did not decide to do this on their own. Jesus is the one who caused this storm. And yes, we have to be careful in our life because Jesus is not the one who tempts us to sin. But many of the trials we find ourselves in, Jesus is the one next to the thermometer and maybe even the creator of the storm saying, you need to go through this. You have to go through this. This is going to be good for you. I want to test you. I want to mature you. But I'm sure the devil was loving to say that day, he, he can't do anything. There's nothing the Lord can do. You're simply going to die. And we know that's wrong because Christ has all authority. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And yes, although things may seem like it's the opposite now, it may seem like the Lord and his saints are losing this battle. Jesus is going to win, just like he won this day where the winds and the waves did not win. The devil did not win. Jesus won once again. He rose, he rebuked the winds and the waves, and the sea was calmed. And I have to imagine, again, the scene from this hurricane-like storm to this eerie calm. That had to be a wild scene for the disciples to go, Wow, who is this guy? The winds and the sea obeyed him in a moment, in an instant. Who is this Jesus? And that's what I want to help us think about today. Yes, we have a devil. He's trying to trip us up. He's trying to deceive. He's trying to lie. But we need to focus upon our Lord Jesus. We need to focus upon who he is, what he's capable of doing, and his resume of love in our lives. And then we need to take up our shield, which we find in Ephesians 6, is the shield of faith. Because it says in Ephesians 6, if we take up that shield of faith, we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Everything he throws at us. Every subtle lie he tries to trip us up with. If we have faith, we can extinguish every single one of them and they will not hurt us. I pray that you would look to Jesus today. I know you're probably going through some sort of storm today. I don't know how big it is. I don't know how intense it is. But I've gone through storms even recently. And I need to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to remember who he is and what he's capable of. And I need to remember how much he loves me. Because in several months here in Matthew, he was going to give his life. And in hindsight, you and I know that he did give his life. He actually died on the cross because that's how much he loves us. Let us look to Jesus today. Let us take up the shield of faith. Let us extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And let us go forward when everything in life wants to push us backward. I pray that this blesses you. Thanks for listening to the Wyoming Valley Church Podcast. Join us for worship Sunday mornings beginning at 1030. We're located in the Dolphin Plaza on Highway 315 in Wilkesbury. Learn more about us at wyomingvalleychurch.org. Wyoming Valley Church, a place where all are welcome.